Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. Before we get started, we would like to invite you to leave a review for this podcast in iTunes. It's a brand new show, and it's really important in the launch of a new podcast to gather reviews. Will you please help us spread the word by leaving a review so that more mamas have a chance of finding this podcast when they search for one? We read every single review, and we promise to keep doing that. We love what everyone, all of you ladies, have been saying about the Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy podcast here with My Essential Birth. So thank you, everyone, for your continued support. Okay, mama, sorry for the horrible audio again, but I had to jump on here before I run this episode and tell everybody about our Empowered Pregnancy Fall Challenge. It's a 30-day challenge. It starts November 1st, so I want you to head to myessentialbirth.com at the top, click Fall Challenge, and get registered today. It is totally free, really fun. There's a private Facebook group. You're going to love it. Join us there. On this episode 13 of the podcast, we want to talk to you ladies about infertility and miscarriage because not only do they go hand in hand, um, but it's also something that affects a lot of mamas all over the world. So um, let me start by explaining what infertility is. It is defined as not being able to get pregnant after you've been having regular intercourse without birth control for at least a year. And if you're over 35, it's for at least six months. So some of you know that this is something that I, Stephanie, struggle with um, or have struggled with recently. Courtney is also going to share her information and story about that as well. But um, as of this last August, we have been trying for three years without birth control with regular intercourse and are still not pregnant. Um, And we've done quite a few things in between there, including meeting with a fertility specialist and having um, an endometriosis excision surgery in order to try and get pregnant, and we are still not pregnant. And of course, this is after having three healthy babies, um, and they were all planned. We decided we wanted to get pregnant, and then we got pregnant, and it was the same month every single time. So I never thought that this would be a thing. Um, So we have what is called unexplained secondary infertility, meaning we've had children before. That's where the secondary infertility comes in. And unexplained means that we've had all the tests and everything checks out. I have a great egg reserve. My husband's swimmers are swimming strong. He's got enough of them. You know, everything that should make us pregnant is there. And for whatever reason, we are still not becoming pregnant. So I did start noticing a few things um, probably about four years ago. And those were issues with my cycle. So I started having spotting in between cycles, um, crazy PMS that got super bad at one point. I had mood swings and migraines, fatigue, night sweat, some of the stuff I'm still dealing with. And that has been the struggle is trying to figure all this out when everybody tells me, but your tests are normal and so you should be fine. So now I'm taking doTERRA's phytoestrogen and the bone nutrient complex. Um, and along with some other oils that I'm doing and nutrition supplements, um, 
Neither you've gone off. You've made dietary changes. I remember there was yeah. a period where you were off gluten, dairy, sugar. Girl, yeah. I don't know how you did it, but <laughs> I'll tell you. The second we decided on surgery, I was like, "Bring me to Cold Stone." <laughs> <laughs> you've done a lot to bring a little baby here. Yeah, and so part of it is frustrating and then anyways I mean I know I already have these three wonderful children but that's not it I have this desire to be a mother and um, anyways we'll talk more about that later but that's a little bit about my story and why I feel it's really important to talk about these things Um, I feel like it also takes the heaviness away from it when we're able to openly discuss these issues as women I think Michelle Obama had a great quote. She was giving an interview talking about the fertility struggles that she had, how she had to do IVF. And one of the things that she said that really stood out to me is one of the worst things we can do as women is to not talk about this. We sit there in pain, um, in our own suffering, thinking something's wrong with us, that somehow we're broken. Only as we do start talking to other women, we realize that it's more common than we realize. And, and there's this need to get up and share and hopefully reach somebody who might be struggling with something as well. So let's throw you some, some hard numbers here. About 12 to 13 women out of every 100 are infertile. About 10% of women have difficulty staying pregnant, which means they get pregnant, but they miscarry, some, usually before 10 weeks. About a third of the cases of infertility are caused by the mother. About a third of the cases of infertility are caused by men. And yet it's something that I feel like a lot of women take on themselves solely. Yeah, totally. The other third is a mix that can't always be determined easily. It could be endometriosis. It could be adenomyosis. Primary infertility is when women have never had a pregnancy. And like Stephanie mentioned, secondary infertility is when you've had children before, but you haven't been able to have more again. Right. So let's get into some of the whys. And then for those of you that are listening that maybe aren't super familiar with all the things um, that kind of the background of what happens for infertility, we want to discuss some of those. That way, maybe if you're having some of these issues, um, this might pique some interest and, and you might be able to solve some of them easily. Can I just say here too, I Stephanie and I talked about this. This is the Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy podcast. So mm-hmm. why are we talking about <laughs> infertility and miscarriage on here? Well, Um, there might be some of you listening who years down the road, and hopefully not, we wouldn't wish this on anyone, but who may experience secondary infertility like Stephanie is going through right now. Or you might have someone close to you who is struggling with infertility and miscarriage. And maybe by sharing this podcast with them, it can maybe give them some new ideas or new information, or at the very least help them to feel like they're not alone and that they're loved and supported. Yeah. And Courtney's going to share a little bit later, but um, if you're listening because maybe you've been pregnant and then you're not pregnant anymore, um, there's reasons for that mm-hmm. a lot of the time. It's not just that the body's letting go of that baby. There might be some other things that are under your control that you can control that can help that. Yeah. So on that note, let's start with um, ovulation. Ovulation is one of the most common, it is the most common reason that infertile women are unable to conceive. So ovulation has to do with um, the egg being released from your follicle and um, moving down into the uterus. Now you need to know your cycle and your ovulation. We can't just talk about ovulation as 
something that happens every month because it happens very differently for every woman. Um, and although we put a lot of people into these averages of like, oh, most women have a 28-day cycle and that means they ovulate at about day 14, that looks very different woman to woman. That can also change due dates for pregnancy, which we've talked about before, and all kinds of things. Um, but as far as getting pregnant, we want to go over just some of the basics with you really quick. So this was totally my issue when it came to having trouble getting pregnant is I found out that I was ovulating not around day 14 like you're supposed to, but that I was ovulating really late in my cycle and that my body didn't have enough time to produce the progesterone necessary to then um, sustain that pregnancy. And I would have a drop in progesterone, it would trigger a period and I would I would miscarry. And so let's talk about how do you find out if you something's off with your ovulation. There's a couple different ways that you can do this. Um, the first is to begin tracking your basal body temperature. Um, there's all kinds of fancy gadgets that can do this for you. Now, I know there are certain watches and things that can track your temperature for you, but they didn't have those <laughs> when I was working on getting pregnant. And so I grabbed and ordered a basal body thermometer off Amazon, and you need to take your temperature before you even sit up in the morning. Yeah. Um, and it I, should be about the same time. So I would set an alarm 6 a.m. Right. before my kids would come in and wake me up. <laughs> yeah, the alarm would go off. I would shove yep. that thermometer in my mouth and I would record and chart the temperature. And then there's all kinds of information on the internet that can help you to spot patterns in your cycle that would indicate if you have um, what they call a luteal phase defect. Yes, so your temperature will be lower before you ovulate. This phase, so after you have your period and before you ovulate is known as the follicular phase. Um, and once you ovulate, that temperature, you'll see a spike and you will know that that means ovulation has occurred. That spike in temperature will stay up high. Once it goes up, it will remain high after ovulation until you are about to get your period. And what would happen for me is it would drop back down the day before or the morning of when I would get my period. Another way that you can check to see if you have some ovulation patterns that might be a little different from the norm is to use at-home ovulation strips and tests. You can buy these anywhere. Walmart has them, Target has them, pharmacies have them. Um, and it's just a strip that you pee on and it measures your luteinizing hormone um, in your urine to help you to know if you're ovulating or not. Yeah, when there's a rise in the luteinizing hormone, it tells your ovary to release an egg. So it can be detected through the urine and that can give you, it basically gives you between 12 to 36 hours um, when it comes up that, yes, this color has changed or I, I use the clear blue digital ovulation test. Um, it would give me a smiley face and then it means, well, within the next 12 to 36 hours, you need to have intercourse to to give you the best chance of getting pregnant for that cycle. Mm -hmm. Another way that you can check is by checking your cervical mucus. Now this one's a little more involved, um, but it's something <laughs> you that don't you have do. to touch it. No, you don't. And it's something you can do easily when you go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. You'll probably notice it. Um, so before ovulation during that follicular phase, it'll look different than after your period. Um, so after your period, you'll have some dry days. Like, you know, you're done bleeding, it's kind of dry down there, and then all of a sudden it'll be kind of wet. Well, when you're preparing to ovulate, to drop that egg, um, it'll be almost kind of slimy. They call it that egg white consistency. It's tacky when you can, like, hold it between your fingers. I honestly, I haven't touched mine. I haven't had to. So you don't have <laughs> to touch it. Um, 
anyways, but when you wipe, you'll see like, oh, it's kind of like slimy clear. and yeah, it should yeah. be clear. It can be a little yellow, I think too. Um, but that's, that's what it looks like. It's that sticky stuff that is going to help that sperm travel up to where it needs to go and to stay. So it's made for good Beam swimmers. Me up, Scotty. Right. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's it's perfect. Yeah. Um, and then after ovulation, yeah, it'll be dry or wet, but not tacky anymore. And so, um, there's apps that you can track these things in. I mm-hmm. use Ovia and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but there's also fertility front. There's several of them. There's all kinds of apps that you can use. But the great thing is, um, if you're doing it all together, you'll have a really good idea of when you ovulate and things like that. So I kept track of my basal body temperature. I pay attention to my mucus. I use the digital ovulation kit. All of it checks out that I ovulate and I happen to ovulate late and I also have a longer cycle. So, um, and then what Courtney was talking about is that luteal phase defect. Um, I don't necessarily like that it's called a defect, but um, basically... I didn't name it. I know. know, know. (laughs) Um, But basically, if after you ovulate, it's supposed to be that you have 10 days, a minimum of 10 days until your period. So after ovulation until your period should be about 10 days. So for me... Um, I tend to ovulate day like 17 or 18. So I need to have, it needs to be day 28, 29 before I see my period. Otherwise, um, there may be a need for extra progesterone, which was Courtney's case. Yeah. I just want to give a shameless plug real quick for a book that I know has helped so many women. Um, and it's called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. This is not, we don't get paid for plugging this book, although if it does help you get pregnant, Stephanie and I can give you an address where you can send us cupcakes or cookies. We yes. gladly accept mm-hmm. both. After um, the first of the year. We're off sugar till the first of the year. Yeah. <laughs> After January 1st, send us all the sugary things. Um, but Taking Charge of Your Fertility is a wonderful resource. It it talks about this in detail and, yeah. and gives you things. Yeah. We're giving you a very basic overview, but what I'm hoping will come from this is some of you might realize like, oh, I just didn't know that that was even a thing. And mm-hmm. then you get curious and enough to research it. So the next thing we want to talk about possible reason for infertility is ovulation disorders. So you could have irregular ovulation, sort of like we talked about, or Mm -hmm. you could have no ovulation. Um, This often comes with a lack of menstruation. One of the most common things that you have likely heard about that we always hear about, um, it's big, it's called PCOS. It stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. So oftentimes with PCOS, women need help to ovulate. And so there's fertility drugs and other things that go along with that in order to help a mom be able to ovulate on her own. PCOS um, is an interesting one too. And actually all of these are interesting in this way where – they're finding more and more things can be controlled with diet and mm-hmm. exercise and proper sleeping patterns. So maybe don't send Stephanie the cookies. No, send me, me the cookies. <laughs> no, kidding. if I'm not pregnant by January 1st. <laughs> you say that now. I know. Don't listen. <laughs> send the cookies. And PCOS is what you have going on, correct? No. No. Okay, so here's a weird one. I have what's called PCOM, but then the next time they checked it, I didn't even have that. And what that's called is polycystic ovarian morphology. And so... Somebody's making this up. Right? I think, yeah. Well, that's where the unexplained... They can explain it, right? Um, But basically, when they did the ultrasound, and when you look at the ovaries, it has this... They call it like a... 
a pearl necklace going on. So you have a lot of little eggs all on the ovaries. So instead of getting a couple that get big and nice and juicy and the one will come off and be a nice fertile ready to go egg, um, they all those little eggs are taking up some of the energy and so you're not getting one really good viable egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the PCOS, I believe they, and I'm not positive about this, so I believe they give medication to help you have like a nice strong viable egg or two um, and then there's some other things that can go along. If we'll talk about that later with IUI and IVF. But um, you can trigger shot or some other things. But with PCOS, it's about getting mom to ovulate and to ovulate regularly. And so mine was a little bit different. And like I said, the next time they went, that wasn't the thing. So I don't know. Mine's a little tricky that way. Mothers who are a little bit older are also going to maybe have some um, ovulation disorder. They have limited eggs and they have maybe fewer viable eggs and so their ovulation it might not be happening every single month or all the time they might need a little help so some women who might be menstruating but might not be ovulating would be women who um, do a lot of excessive intense exercise Um, i remember in high school when i was doing track and field and cross country my periods would disappear or Mm. slow down sometimes Um, if you're under excessive stress if you're underweight or if you are or obese um, if you have abnormal thyroid levels, um, these things might also apply to you. Yeah, I think the important thing here is to make sure that you are seeking for answers, particularly if you have gone, you know, an entire year of unprotected sex and you are trying to get pregnant and you are not pregnant. Um, that's a time to reach out to somebody mm-hmm. and to really advocate for yourself. Um, Courtney, when she shares her story, I think you share it really wonderfully about <laughs> making sure that you're getting the help that you need yeah. if people aren't listening. Yeah. So. On top of that, there are medications that help women to ovulate. Um, They include follicle-stimulating hormone. So their gonadotropins has to do with the man's gonads, right? Gonadotropin. Anyways. So other um, medications that are given are things like Clomid or Formara, which are probably um, medicines that you're a little more familiar with if you've heard of any of this. Clomid's the big one. Formara seems to be a little less extreme as far as um, the mood and the amount of eggs that it causes mom to drop. However, it also has its own issues, which can be like if you're taking it over six months, it can decrease a woman's bone density. There's a lot of things that, that women sacrifice to try to get pregnant and have these babies. Um, Clomid, for example, they don't want you on that for more than six months because it can increase your chances of cancer. Um, but Do your research. Yeah, do, do your homework. But then it's so interesting to me and such a sweet testament to motherhood that we are yet yeah. so willing, you know. Yep. Um, so I just think it's beautiful. But Clomid has the crazier moods, greater chance of multiples. I What I experienced with Famara, I took that one month. I still have back knee. I still have back acne from it. Um, it, but it immediately threw me into a very dark place. And I didn't stay there for more than a couple days, maybe a week, which is about how long you take it. But um, they, when I called and asked them about this, is this normal? Because I know that this is not normal for me and I'm in a really dark place. And they said, no, that's not a side effect. Okay, well, then I looked it up, and of course, there's all these forums where women are experiencing this. So, again, do your research and all of that. Um, thankfully for me, it was enough of a mood shift, and it happened so quickly that I was yeah. aware of what did it, um, but it wasn't fun. All right, so endometriosis. I remember now this is what you have going on, right? Yeah. And it's estimated that about 38% to 50% of infertile women have endometriosis. This is actually higher 
in women who have secondary infertility, remember women who have Mm -hmm. had a kid or two, that that number is even higher. About 70 to 80% of women who have chronic pelvic pain are likely to have endometriosis as well. And what this means is pain during intercourse, um, really hardcore menstrual cramping, Mm -hmm. um, period poops, as (laughs) as they like to call them. (laughs) Yeah, um, this is probably, I truly believe, one of the um, most missed things that can that like women everywhere I believe are experiencing this and so I think the numbers are low that's my personal opinion Mm. from talking to woman after woman after woman and even with mine I mean I went to a fertility specialist seeking help I didn't know I had endometriosis I ended up flying out of state for surgery to meet with a specialist but I I started out at an infertility specialist because I was having all of these issues I mean I've had pain during intercourse since the very first time I ever had intercourse. I've had menstrual cramping my whole life until I had my first baby. And when it went away, I just went, oh, that's good. Um, I had all of these signs that because nobody said to me when I came to my OB and, and gave them this explanation of everything that was going on, nobody even mentioned this. I didn't even know what to look up. So even Can with- I just say something right here? Yeah. I am so getting so fed up with all kinds of health things of doctors telling you that's just normal mm-hmm. that's normal to have cramping during your period particularly and i am not like a big time feminist by any means but particularly a man telling me yeah that i don't know what's going on inside my internal woman organs no this especially irritates me when women go to their six-week postpartum visit and they're talking to them about how how they're feeling or certain symptoms that they mm. might be having they're told oh that's just normal Stop trying to convince yourself that even the little things, the acne that you have every single month when you get your period and the extreme mood swings that you're experiencing and how you have so little energy that you don't know how you can make it through the day without some kind of nap or stimulant. Yeah. That is not normal. I'm I'm so tired of providers trying to tell people that's normal. It's normal to feel that way. It's never normal. To no. Have pain and the problem is an extreme menstrual cramp. That everything is created around as if that were normal. So for example, you go to the store and they have Midol or they have Pamprin. Or they have these things that are for painful periods, for PMS symptoms. They have mm-hmm. heavy pads that are for massive bleeding. That doesn't make those things normal. You're no. treating a symptom. You're not treating the cause. So I think or society as a whole co- that there is a cause has created this issue. I, yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah. Yeah. So my issues with care providers in general started with birth. I will say, mm-hmm. just all of that recognition there started with birth. And it has held true, unfortunately. I know. I feel like with every single thing after. It's it's coming into play in all areas of health. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I think people are becoming way more aware of it now. And they're like, we want to change. Right. I think that's why you're seeing things like doTERRA's Prime Meridian and stuff pop up. And if you guys haven't looked into that, we'll put a link for that in the show notes as well. If you so are cool. lucky enough to be by a location that is going to be carrying one of these. Um, Prime Meridian Health Clinic. It's a health yeah. clinic. And it's an integrative health clinic. So it's staffed by MDs, but it's MDs who are going to really sit down with you and um, dig in. There's no insurance company, so we cut out the middleman, and they are going to find out, what are you? Let's get to the root cause of these things. You shouldn't be feeling this way. Let's figure out how to address it. And they, they go through diet. They go through lifestyle. They go through all kinds of things to really get to the bottom of it. Sorry. I know I took us off on a soapbox. I just, I no, have to I say that. it it's does, okay. it permeates in every area of your life. So when I had a physician telling me that your child just has ear infections, it just happens. And it was to a point where we were getting injectable antibiotics a few times a week. That's not, 
that's not normal. No. So anyway, soapbox off. We'll get back we'll to be back on it later. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what happens with endometriosis is you have your endometrium, which is the layer inside of your uterus that sheds every month. That's what you're bleeding out. Um, that's normal. What happens with endometriosis is that endometrium becomes, it starts coming outside of the uterus mm-hmm. and attaches to different things. It attaches organs together. It can attach fallopian tubes together. It can attach um, bowels to the uterus, just all kinds of a mess. Um, it creates these little nodules that are painful, um, and it sheds every month as well. So when it's time to have a period, now you're shedding in all of these places outside of your uterus, and it becomes very painful, and that's where the menstrual crapping and things come in. Um, lower back pain was a big one for me. I have not been able to lay flat on my back since I got pregnant with my first, and I just thought it was some kind of back pain. I was a cheerleader in high school. I was dropped a couple times like I really thought it had something to do with my back and after the surgery that I had I can lay flat on my back without pain. that's crazy blew my mind I had no idea but again I was with an infertility specialist prior to this who told me you absolutely don't have endometriosis mm. I looked on the ultrasound you don't have it which by the way you cannot diagnose it from any ultrasound not even an HSG, which is a hysterosonogram. It cannot be diagnosed that way. It must be done laparoscopically, and it must be done with a specialist. That's my note, because you will have OBs that tell you that they can see what it is, but trained specialists know exactly what to look for, and it does not always look the same. So that was my soapbox. Um, basically what it does though is it's super inflammatory and um, that's why if you are having issues and you go on an anti-inflammatory diet like I was on where no sugar, dairy, soy, um, things like that, it it feels better but it doesn't fix it. It's Mm -hmm. always growing. On top of that, the medications that are given to women who are said to have endometriosis, um, from what I understand and from what these excision surgery specialists are saying are harmful to the mother. They don't fix anything. They're a symptom thing, but they cause all kinds of side effects, including cancers and lifelong issues. One last thing about um, surgery, and this is why it's so important to meet with an excision specialist, is many OBs will tell you, oh yeah, I can go in and I can do surgery for endometriosis. They do something called ablation. Um, Ablation is where they take a laser and they burn off the um, endometriosis, but nine times out of 10, what happens is it grows back and even more so um, and causes more problems. So then you've got scar tissue and the fact that it doesn't stop the endometriosis from growing. So excision is the gold standard. Um, They have seen from excision surgery patients 20 years later who have not had any recurring issues, which is a big deal because ablation lasts maybe a couple years. However, um, I will say that there are women absolutely who have had excision or not excision, who have had endometriosis and have had the ablation surgery and have been able to get pregnant a month or two after. Um, But something that you should also be aware of is endometriosis can cause more miscarriages. So again, if it's not treated properly, this is all stuff that you'll just have to, (laughs) you'll have to do this for yourself. But if you're interested and you want to know a little bit more, there's a Facebook group um, that I'm a part of that it's really growing rapidly because people are realizing this is more of an issue. It's called Nancy's Nook. It's on Facebook and it's an endometriosis education group. So make sure you go in there, read through the files, read through the rules before posting. They're really, um, they're really strict about that so that they're just getting all the important pertinent information out there. But it was a wealth of information and that's where I found my specialist.
All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you.